Hello, everybody. I'm joined today by the boys, Sam Godsey and Tanner Dislett. I'm your host, Keegan Turnbow. To everyone out there listening, thanks for tuning in. Today, we'll dig into some winners and losers, as well as break down some games from the past weekend. Let's get into episode 15 here on Crunch Time. We're going to get into the winners first. Sam, we're going to throw it to you. Who is your winner from this past week? So to start off, honorary winner of the episode, uh, God be my dad, Ron Gatsy, uh, celebrating his 56th birthday today. So happy birthday to him. Happy birthday, Ron. Happy birthday. For my sports winner, it's got to be Bo Nix out of Auburn. He played a hell of a game against number 10, Ole Miss. 22 for 30, 276 yards, one touchdown in the passing game, then on the run game, eight rushes for 30 yards, two touchdowns in a win over 10 Ole Miss, 31 to 20. That was a game where all three of us picked Ole Miss. We were thinking that Matt Corral was going to be able to, you know, to lead Ole Miss to the victory. And Bo Nix did everything we thought Matt Corral would be doing. Bo Nix, big winner from this past week. Tanner, who's your winner? My winner is none other than Mike White. What a performance we saw yesterday from his first start of his NFL career. I didn't even know who Mike White was <laughs> until he came in last week in relief of Zach Wilson, who was injured. But let's take a look into the stats here. He was 37 for 45 already right off the bat. That's an 82% completion percentage. He's throwing for 405 yards, three touchdowns, and of course, that all-important win. He did throw two interceptions. However, those were a little bit misleading as I think both were tipped and one was at least one was certainly not his fault but one thing about that completion percentage that is so key is that it kept the Bengals offense off the field that high-powered offense that we were talking about last week with Jamar Chase T Higgins and and Tyler Boyd he kept them off the field the Jets had 36 minutes in time of possession while while the Bengals only had 23 and that was the key here to keep the Bengals offense off the field and have these Jets have these slow methodical drives that ended up getting in the end zone so Mike White Gutsy performance, you are my winner of the week. This guy, he's been in the league for a few years, backing up a few different guys. But first opportunity to start, like you said, Tanner, it was such efficiency throwing for over 400 yards. Zach Wilson, (laughs) do you think, do we think he's going to have to fight for his job? Because that's the most impressive quarterback game we've seen out of the New York Jets organization in a really long time. Injuries happen and people lose their jobs because of it. I mean, Look, look what happened to Drew Bledsoe. Of course, I'm not comparing Mike White to Tom Brady. He's certainly got a long way to go to fill those shoes. But the fact of the matter is that was the best, like you said, the best the Jets offense has played in a very long time. So right now you kind of got to stick with it, or at least until, you know, Zach Wilson's still hurt, give him a few more games under his belt, then maybe a tough decision needs to be made. Yeah. We'll have to wait and see as Wilson starts to come back. My winner of the week is Calvin Ridley. Uh, Ridley is the latest of athletes to prioritize their mental health over their occupation. Earlier this year, we had gymnast Simone Biles sitting out parts of the Olympics this past year for her mental health. She was saying that there's more to life than gymnastics. Uh, Ridley, in a tweet earlier this week, said these past few weeks have been very challenging. And as much as I'd like to be on the field competing with my teammates, I need to step away from football at this time and focus on my mental well-being. Even in the midst of this issue, apparently that's been plaguing him for the past few weeks, even through the midst of all of that, Ridley was still attending practices. 
he was still coming to games for an athlete to be able to, you know, when, when they're on the field, being able to make millions of dollars, build up a, a lifestyle for not only themselves, but their family, their loved ones, and for their future generations, for athletes to realize that they're humans too. And they should be able to be given the space to take care of themselves. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter what lifestyle you have. If you're not able to enjoy it. And right now, it doesn't seem like Calvin really has been able to fully enjoy life. It's a shame that he has to go through this. He's a big winner for me, not only from the perspective of prioritizing his own mental well-being, but also being a leader for future generations to see you need to take care of yourself first and foremost. Yeah. I couldn't have said it any better. The, you know, the, the courage it takes to come out and talk about it and, and take away from such a, such a public job that he has and, and to open up the conversation is, is big. And uh, like you said, it, it's just a big winner uh, from the, the courage to, to come out like that. Sam, we're going to throw it back over to you with our first loser of the week. Who do you have? My loser gotta be SMU. Uh, last Saturday, 17 seconds left on the clock. They kick a kick a regular kickoff. Marcus Jones of Houston gets the ball, takes it a hundred yards, walk off, game winner, kick return. How can you lose in such heartbreaking fashion? And that is why SMU is my big loser this weekend. Tanner, we'll throw it over to you with your loser of the week. This is an interesting one because today should have been a rejoiceful day for the Tennessee Titans as they put together another clutch win. As we talk about, this team's finally finding its identity. And then you get the news today that Derrick Henry is Derrick Henry is out for the season with a foot injury. They're first place in the NFC right now. Derrick Henry is the number one rusher in the NFL by almost 300 yards. To put that into perspective, he himself has over 900 yards. Everyone else is sitting in the mid 600s. So that's a 30, 33% lead of his own rushing yards. And it's just an incredible blow to this offense. There's nothing more you can say about what Derrick Henry means, his ability to to be physical, tough runner, run through tackles, and pretty much carry this offense at times. So w- with that happening, it's really tough to see the Titans making the run deep into the AFC playoffs like we all thought without Derrick Henry. So so the, the Tennessee Titans and, and Derrick Henry, you're my loser. You're my loser today. Derrick Henry, he was having that type of season where a running back is starting to be thrown into the conversation of MVP. That was the type of year he was having. He was on pace to have over 2,000 rushing yards for the year. Derrick Henry, by far the best running back in the league. And the most impressive thing about Henry so far in his career was the fact that he was able to do what he was with the load that he was carrying year after year without being injured. That load seems like it's starting to catch up to him with this injury. We hope that this is the last of his career so he's able to come back and have a healthy remainder of it. My loser, I have very quickly, I'm going to touch on three NBA favorites for my loser. First, I'll touch on the Lakers quickly. Their record's four and three. What's so problematic about the Lakers right now is having both LeBron and Westbrook on your team. Both of them like to do the same thing. You can have some of their minutes shared, but you want to have majority of them separately. 
regardless of what the Lakers are doing with when people are on the floor, the two of them are combining for over nine turnovers a game. When those are your two main ball handlers, nearly com- nearly giving the opponent an additional 10 possessions, that's not something you want to see. Carmelo Anthony has been more efficient on the floor than the both of them. He's had a higher player efficiency rating than LeBron and Russell Westbrook. The problem with Russ on this team right now, <laughs> he had a quadruple double a few games ago, if you count turnovers. The inconsistency with Westbrook, where one possession, he'll do something amazing, but the very next possession, he can do something so baffling that you'd be surprised this is the same game. Uh, For some reason, he's been sharing minutes with Rajon Rondo, which doesn't make any sense to me. That rotation needs to be fixed. But when Russ doesn't have the ball in his hands, you know, they can set screens for him so he can cut and get open and get easy baskets in either in transition or in a half court offense, have some screens that he can run around, but they're just not doing that for him right now. Uh, The Lakers are going to get this right eventually, but their four wins, they've not come up against good teams. Their four wins so far this year has been Memphis, San Antonio, Cleveland, and Houston. Their losses coming up against the Warriors and Suns, and then blowing a 30-point lead to the Oklahoma City Thunder a team that might struggle to win 20 games this year, but they got one against the Lakers. Another team that should get right eventually, but isn't right now, the Brooklyn Nets. James Harden is averaging 18 points a game so far this year, shooting under 40% from the field. That is not something the Nets can handle. Kevin Durant can overcome a lot. We saw that in the playoffs. He can overcome a lot, but he can't overcome this. No Kyrie practically no James Harden. He's a shell of himself right now. Will the Nets be right eventually? Maybe, but James Harden is going to need to play better for that to happen. The last team, the Phoenix Suns, Chris Paul is averaging less than 10 attempted shots a game for the first time in his career. He is not involved in the offense enough. And the defense hasn't been the same type of defense that we saw last year. They're still, they're still doing well, but they haven't been as stifling as they were in the past. I think it's easier for the Suns to fix their issue than the Lakers and the Nets. But all three of these NBA favorites, they're kind of struggling out of the gate. If I could just throw a, a stat out there, you're talking about the, the play style of James Harden. From 2014 to 2020, of those seasons, he averaged double-digit free throw attempts per game. He currently is averaging five this year so far. That's half, if not less. Some trouble might be brewing in Brooklyn. We'll wait and see what happens with Brooklyn, with those three favorites. But we're going to transition away from winners and losers and talk about some games from this past week. First, we're going to talk about Thursday night football where the Packers beat the then-undefeated Cardinals 24-21. to With the win, Matt LaFleur moves to 33-7. and No coach has ever won more games in his first 40 games than that of Matt LaFleur. What the Packers did in this game was, without Devontae Adams, without Alan Lazard, and the slew of other injuries that I've talked about before, that I won't dive into everything because... That'd just be repetitive to overcome that type of adversity and just completely change their play style. 
Green Bay dominated the time of possession in this game. The Packers had the ball for approximately 38 minutes of the total 60 minutes in this game, which that's not something that Green Bay normally does. It's normally the other team that's beating Green Bay in time of possession. But Green Bay slowed their offense down, ran the ball a lot more, focused on small, short, quick passes to some of the wide receivers, uh, Randall Cobb, uh, Equinemia St. Brown, uh, bringing Malik Taylor off of the practice squad. They brought some other receivers off the practice squad as well. The Packers just did enough to win a game against one of the more explosive teams in the league. I'm interested to hear what your guys' perspectives were on this game. Yeah, I, I guess I'd like to throw one word out there that that I think is going to be, certainly for me, in a kind of a theme on the offensive side, and that's adaptability. And and I think the Packers did a really good job of doing that and, and noticing their their weaknesses from, from the injuries you talked about and kind of playing around that and trying to build a game plan that highlights their strengths. And I think the, the Packers coaching staff deserves a, deserves a big tip of the cap there because I think they killed it. And just call it what it is. It's a big win on the road with, with, with everybody out. And, and one thing I'd like to draw attention to is kind of how, how the Packers defensive line played. I mean, look at these, the, the dynamic duo of Chase Edwins and James Conner who have been playing really well this year. They combined for 52 yards. That's it. And uh, you know, it, it was just impressive all around and, and a big win for the Packers. Sam, anything Dad? Yeah, I mean, Rodgers proved once again why he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Uh, basically didn't have any of his uh, good receivers this weekend. And he still got the job done at the end of the night. Whether there be some controversial uh, opinions about that is another story. But Tanner, I'm glad you brought the defense it was impressive what they were able to do. And again, without two of their top corners, without Zendarius Smith, without a few other guys as well, being able to do what they did against the explosive Arizona Cardinals offense, that Arizona Cardinals offense only allowing them for 21 points, turning Kyler Murray over twice. Now the second turnover. Let's put it out there in the air to say what it was. What, it's, what seems like it happened was A.J. Green seemed to have thought that this was a running play, and he seemed to be blocking Rasul Douglas, the Green Bay corner. That's lo- that looked like what was happening. He didn't, he didn't seem to know it was a passing play. He turns around. Douglas able's, is able to tip the ball, get the game ceiling interception. A.J. Green, that just can't happen in this situation. To for, like their miscommunication with 15 seconds left in the game, you're in the red zone, a chance for a touchdown to potentially win the game for that to happen. in that situation, that's a terrible look. Yeah. Just, just an inexcusable mistake. I mean, with no timeouts, there is no chance the Cardinals ever had any run play in their mind at all. There were no time. You had no timeouts. You had no way to stop the clock. It was going to be a pass play through and through the entire possession till they scored or they turned the ball over, which is actually, which is of course what happened. And I just don't know what he was doing. There's just no possible way Arizona was ever going to run that ball. Yeah. If you, if you look at the instant replay, I swear to God, I will die on this hill. AJ green was looking at the video board. If you go back and watch that play, 
and he's looking up at the video board. I swear to God, it, it it's an inexcusable mistake, like y'all said. Yeah, and it ended up costing them. Now, you know, one more thing I'd like to throw in before the importance of this game really can't be understated. I mean, this is a matchup that is very possible to, to be seen in the playoffs. And now we have a clear cut tiebreaker. So now next time, if Arizona is trying to come back and, and, and avenge this loss, there might be going up to Green Bay because of this. So, mm-hmm. so this was a big one for, for Green Bay. There are only two teams in the NFL that are at seven and one. And the one that has the tiebreaker is that of the Green Bay Packers. The best record in the NFL is that of the Green Bay Packers. Without so many players being able to do what they did, it's going to be scary what can happen as they start to get players back. There are three teams that are seven and one. There are three teams that are seven. Rams. Oh, yeah. I forgot about the Rams. They just got better. They just got Von Miller. (laughs) They just got Von. They just got Von Miller. Yeah, Von shit? Miller. Swear to God. Are you shit? Are you kidding me? Denver is sending three oh three time all pro oh, pass no. rusher Von Miller to Los Angeles for like are going two mid-round. Wow. Two mid-rounders. Yeah. Oh wow. my goodness. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. This is a this is a episode news break. <laughs> this the has Bron- never happened before. The Broncos are paying nine million. The wow. Von Miller's remaining $9.7 million in salary. So not only are they getting it and trading away, I believe, a second and third round pick in the upcoming 2022 draft, but the Rams are only going to be paying $0.7 million of his contract. Like, look at all the playmakers on this defense now. This is insane. <laughs> wow. Just, just, we've been talking every episode, the Rams, def- Rams defense, one of the best. And then they get Von Miller. Like, what? Moving away from that live reveal of what's been going on with the Rams, acquiring Von Miller and not even have to pay him that much money to do so, according to Adam Schefter. We'll transition over to college football and then come back to the NFL. Michigan and Michigan State is where we'll go first. Michigan State won this game 37 to 33. Michigan had a 30 to 14 lead with 347 remaining in the third quarter. Tanner, we'll go to you first. What was your biggest takeaway from this game? Biggest takeaway is just finishing for, for Michigan, getting in the end zone. They had 552 total yards compared to Michigan State's 395, 406 passing yards compared to Michigan State's 196. That is complete dominance through the air. They had the ball for a whole nine minutes more than Michigan State. How they lose this game is pretty inexplicable. Just your drives and get into the end zone. And that's where Michigan struggled, and it cost them the game. Sam, big takeaway for you? Yeah, so we talked about this game last episode, and the biggest thing was, can Michigan stop Michigan State's running attack? And the answer was very clear on Saturday. Kenneth Walker, the third, 23 rushes, 197 yards for five touchdowns. So now Michigan couldn't <laughs> stop their rushing attack and uh, it cost them. And yeah, they dude. choked. It's not even, can you stop the rushing attack? It's, can you stop one guy? Can you stop <laughs> Kenneth Walker? And I talk about finishing. 
He had five touchdowns. He single-handedly finished drives for Michigan State, got them seven when Michigan got three. It can't be understated how, how well you know Kenneth Walker did in this game. The wild thing about it is that if he had gotten three more yards and broken over 200 rushing yards, it would have been the third time this season he's had 200 or more rushing yards in a game. The dude is on a different level this year the best running back in all of college football. And I think someone who should be a favorite for the Heisman. This has been the most wide open year we've had in a long time in terms of the Heisman race. It's normally a few quarterbacks down the stretch, one or two. It has to be Kenneth Walker III after the way he has been going this year. It's just downright impressive. Just dominant. It's it's downright dominant. dominant. Yeah, it's absurd. Uh, something that can't be left out about this game is there were some interesting calls. Uh, Michigan State in the first half, uh, they're running in a touchdown, and it looked like the person running in the touchdown. It might have even been Kenneth Walker. He had five touchdowns on the day, so <laughs> it might have been one of his. But it looked like he dropped the ball before he crossed the plane. And they ended up saying that it was too close to call and they went with a touchdown, but the ball rolled through the back of the end zone. So it wasn't like anyone recovered it. That's seven points off the board. There is another time where Michigan state's quarterback was sacked and in the midst of being sacked, fumbled the ball, which Michigan scooped up and scored for a touchdown. The referees on the field said he was down and that it wasn't a fumble in replay. It looked like he was barely still up that his knee hadn't yet hit the ground. Michigan did end up scoring a field goal on that drive instead of a touchdown, but that's a four-point swing. And, oh, wait, Michigan lost the game by four points. There were a few interesting calls down the stretch that put Michigan in a bad spot. Michigan had a 30- to 14-point lead. That's not really a bad spot. You know, getting those calls against you sucks, and it's hard to – you know, it, it, it certainly is easier when you're getting the benefit of the doubt from the refs, but you dominated the yardage and you had a 16-point lead. You just got to finish. You just yeah. have to finish. A team that pretty handedly finished off their opponent would be that of Wisconsin, beating Iowa 27-7. to Let's get into it. Sam, what was – you were at the game. Sam was in Madison at the game at Camp Randall. Your thoughts? I have a lot of thoughts on this game, but the thing that upset me most as an Iowa fan is coming off a bye, it looked like we hadn't practiced for goddamn two weeks. We come out there and put seven on the board. Our offense can't do damn near anything. And, you know, I'm figuring out who to blame. You can literally blame it. Everybody on the offensive end, whether it be Brian Ferentz, Spencer Petras, Tyler Goodson, our offensive line, all of them are contributing to this horrendous offense. So, yeah, uh, everything we thought about the Iowa offense is indeed true, and it's not going to get any better from here on out. And it's going to be it's going to be a sad end to the season for Iowa. It's just, they're inept. There is no other word to describe this. Everything from top to bottom is not working. We talk about what Iowa does and how Iowa runs the ball. 
Well, while that play style in itself has caused frustrations in Iowa fans' minds in the past, this is particularly different because they're still trying to run the ball without an offensive line. And the absolute necessity for this off- – I won't even say for this offense to work because we know it doesn't work. It has never worked. But the absolute necessity for this offense to function – is to have a stout offensive line that can move guys. And that is not the case this year. And we are seeing what this does to a system straight from 1940. What happens when you don't have the guys in the trenches to displace defensive linemen. And this is really tough to watch. Iowa had 24 rushing yards, 24. This is the team that we talked about runs the ball every damn play. And they had 24 rushing yards. Absolutely inexcusable. Top to bottom, everyone is to blame. Nobody is doing anything they need to do. Nobody is doing their job. And the season, honestly, might be over for Iowa. Even though they're 6-2, and two, their offense cannot do anything. It's really crazy. If, like, in the midst of everything going on for Iowa, having dropped two games in a row by double digits, they're only one game out of first place in the division which is Minnesota, by the way, you know, the team that everybody thought was dead after they lost their starting running back. Minnesota's four and one in the big 10 right now. Now they haven't played much of anybody. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to wait and see what happens with the rest of Minnesota season. They still play Iowa and Wisconsin throughout the end of their season. Brian Ferentz should have been left in Madison with the way that his offense was running and has been running. This year, Iowa ranks 123rd in total offense. In 2020, it was 88th. In 2019, it was 99th. And in 2018, it was 92nd. The reason I share those four years is because those are the four years that Iowa has had Brian Ferentz as their offensive coordinator. And for each of those four years, the offense just hasn't been average. It hasn't been bad. It has been one of the worst offenses in all of power five. It's inexcusable. The inability to adjust to what you know is a problem. You know that the offensive line was bad. You know what we have been doing isn't working anymore. We should have lost against Penn State. We did lose against Purdue. And adaptability here we are just not doing anything about it you 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 talked about it against purdue the inability to adapt and say we're iowa we're gonna stay true to our colors and play tough nose football it's not working it has never worked and this year is particularly bad with the 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 poor offensive line play so they need to figure something out and and i i have no reason to believe they will and Fun and next week Iowa goes to to Evanston to play Northwestern, where they open as double digit favorites. And I'm very curious as to how Northwestern is going to score negative points for Iowa to cover that because we all know Iowa's going to score seven <laughs> and nothing more. So one last point I like to make is people are saying this Iowa defense is overrated, and the fact we were like a top defense is ridiculous. But let's not act like they're giving up points. For example, 27 points. For defense that was on the field, 10 more minutes 
than the offense was and about 20 plays more. And they're only giving up 27 without their uh, free safety and Riley Moss. You can't blame the defense for losing games when your offense is doing absolutely nothing on the other side. So I don't, I don't like how people are blaming the defense somewhat, which I don't think is a good reason we should be putting all the blame on this horrendous offense. Yeah, and to kind of jump on that, Iowa gave up 270 yards. That is not a good offensive performance from Wisconsin. 270 yards is not good. The Iowa defense played played well. They did. And they came up with an what could have been a momentum shifting stop on the one yard line to cause Wisconsin to turn over on downs, which of course the very next play, Iowa fumbled and gave it right back to Wisconsin on the one, but putting in, put in awful situations, the defense played well, just offense couldn't do anything. One last thing before we transition away, a last thought on Iowa's defense, allowing 27 points against Wisconsin when they were set up in terrible situations time after time by the more than lackluster Iowa offense. The last time someone scored 27 points or more against this Iowa defense, you have to go back to 2018, November 23rd, 2018. Nebraska scored 28 points against Iowa. Iowa won that game 31 to 28. You have to go that far back the last time anyone has scored that much against Iowa. Yeah. And one, one final thought, uh, prayers going out to Clay Cundiff, uh, I, or Wisconsin Badger tight end, mm-hmm. um, suffered a really bad injury in the third quarter, um, was, uh, sent to the Wisconsin hospital, but was later released that night and is presumed to be a broken ankle and a broken fibula, but all the prayers mm-hmm. for a speed recovery to him. Definitely. That it looked painful and is painful, I can imagine. So best wishes to him as he's recovering. We're gonna throw it back to the NFL. Tennessee beat Indianapolis in overtime on Sunday, 34 to 31. This was an interesting back and forth game. Sam, we're gonna throw it back to you first on this one. Your thoughts from the close win for the Titans in a route to losing Derrick Henry, unfortunately. But they got to win against a division rival in a close game. Honestly, it's just comical, if I'm being real. Uh, Carson Wentz did Carson Wentz things, as we say. Please go back and watch these highlights. More specifically, the uh, end of the fourth quarter and into overtime. Just watch us. You'll get a good laugh. But that that's all I got on this game. At that point in time, the game's tied 24 apiece. And the, the Colts had the ball inside the uh, 15-yard line on the far side of the field. They had a long way to drive. Carson Wentz should have thrown the ball away. And he tries to make something happen as he's getting sacked into the end zone for safety. And just, just tosses it up in the air just for free for anyone to have. Yeah, and it, it, it's just using your head. Because there was a minute and a half left in the game when he did this. And there was a screen being set up. All you have to do is throw it at his feet. You are in the pocket, so it's not like you you can have to throw it all the way to the sideline. You can't throw it to the sideline because then it would be intentional grounding. You had a guy three yards in front of you. Throw it into his feet and live to fight another down. 
that trying to pull a rabbit out of a hat on your own one yard line is inexplicable. It was a tough situation for Wentz. Still, you can't do that. You can't be that careless with the football. And it made them end up losing, even though Indianapolis was able to drive down the field with the help of a long pass interference call, which came from Carson Wentz under throwing the football, but they forced overtime, but still. The two, two things we, we've talked about here, actually, uh, before the show is the Carson, Carson Wentz special is a boneheaded turnover where you try to comprehend what was going through his mind, but you simply can't. And a long play pass interference because the ball was severely underthrown. And both were on display uh, on display yesterday in, in that Titans-Colts game. Carson Wentz is an electric quarterback to watch because you never know what's going to happen. Let's go to another quarterback that we had no idea what to expect, but definitely performed better than anyone thought. And that would be the New York Jets beating the Cincinnati Bengals. 34 to 31, Mike White. We talked about him earlier, a big win. Tanner, we'll throw it back to you. You talked about Mike White and how impressive he was in this game. Was that your biggest takeaway in this one? I got two, and one of them was was kind of what I talked about before, and it was New York controlling the speed of the game, having the ball for 36 minutes compared to the 23 that Cincinnati did running 76 plays compared or 78 plays compared to the 54 run by Cincinnati. And it's really key when you can keep all those studs off the field. That's huge. One thing that we talked about last week as to, to explain the emergence of the Cincinnati offense was finally being able to have a balanced attack and run the football with an offensive line that's playing better and an inspired Joe Mixon. They had 41 rushing yards this game, 41. That's only 17. That's 17 more than Iowa. That was the, the all-time worst performance. So this, this, this is bad. It was bad. Bad performance from, from the Cincinnati rushing game. And because of it, they, they were off the field the majority of the game. There was a penalty that was called in the fourth quarter of that game. The Jets had the ball. They're trying to run out the clock to win the game just trying to get a few first downs, make Cincinnati waste their timeouts, get through the two-minute warning to win this game. And it was a third down. Uh, Mike White passed it to Ty Johnson, and he is trying to rush for the first down. He definitely wasn't going to get it. He was going to be short. The two-minute warning hadn't passed. Cincinnati had all their timeouts. And Mike Hilton for the Bengals comes low. He's coming low, and he is leading with his helmet a little bit. But it's more so... That, that shoulder, the way that Ty Johnson was coming towards Mike Hilton, it was going to be impact of the shoulder before the helmet. So it looked like it was going to be a clean tackle, but then Ty Johnson lowers all the way down to meet Mike Hilton and there's helmet to helmet contact. Ty Johnson clearly initiated the contact. The flag was thrown. And even though Ty Johnson for the Jets initiated the contact, the penalty was called on Mike Hilton. The NFL cannot allow blown calls like this because so many rules have been set up to benefit the offensive players, you know, defenseless, defenseless receivers. They've changed the roughing the passer call. They've done all these things to benefit the health of offensive players. But then there's something like this that happens where the offensive player clearly initiates contact. Do we not want anything to happen for the benefit of the health of the defensive players? The penalty should have been on Ty Johnson, if anyone. So many rules nowadays are so clearly geared towards the offense, but this is one that the NFL can't afford to last any longer. 
the Bengals lost this game for many reasons. They didn't properly take care of the ball earlier in the game. Joe Burrow had a turnover. They put themselves in a tough situation. But for this, this is the way the game ends. It's just inexcusable by the NFL. And this has to change. I think I, I would like to change the wording a little bit. This is how the game is sealed. Because, yeah. you know, the Jets did have the lead at that point. So, obviously, Cincinnati getting the ball back with two-minute warning and three, three timeouts. Probably they would have been able to, to put something together. But sealing the game this way is certainly frustrating. And the nature of a clean tackle now is that you have to move your head to the side. When you move your head to the side, you can no longer see. So you can't adapt to where the offensive player is putting his head and it just puts the defender in an impossible situation. And you said it best, something needs to change. And I really hope that they can figure something out because this can't continue. I I like that change yet. It was the way the game was sealed, but congratulations to Mike White and the jets. He might have the starter job period going forward. I'm really looking forward to see how this dynamic moves on going forward. And I would like to throw out the stat of the day. Oh, the yeah. stat of the day is that the two most recent one seeds in the AFC, currently being the Titans, and last week was the Bengals, now are the only two wins. Those two teams are the only two wins for the New York Jets. How does that make any sense? The Jets beat teams when you least expect it. Uh, another game that I did not see coming, I don't think any of us did, New Orleans handedly beating Tampa Bay 36 to 27. Maybe not handedly. That was an exaggeration, sure. Late in the game, the Saints kicked a field goal to put themselves up two. Tom Brady had the ball, less than two minutes left. We all knew where this was going. You know, CBS threw something out there, Bleacher Report threw something out there. They really gave Tom the ball with less than two minutes left in the game. It's what he did to the Cowboys. He's going to do it again here to the Saints. And he throws a pick six. It was really surprising. I did not see this one coming. Sam, what was the big takeaway for you in this one? Uh, Trevor Simeon seems to be that guy for uh, New Orleans. Unfortunately, news broke this morning. Um, Jameis Winston suffered a torn ACL and Uh, damage to his MCL against Tampa Bay and will miss the rest of the season. So my biggest takeaway is what's next for uh, New Orleans after this one with the loss of Jameis Winston. That's a bummer. It's a tough one to swallow. And certainly for Jameis finally getting the ability to, to start in the NFL again, it's tough. And I certainly feel for Jameis and wish him a speedy recovery, but also in terms of what's next, I mean, let's not pretend like Trevor Simeon didn't start for a couple of years or for a year and, in, in Denver. So he, he knows how to play in the NFL. I'm not going to lie to you and say that he's a good starting quarterback, but he, he knows, you know, and, and getting Mark Ingram back and having that Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara running back duo that has been so good for how many years now the, the team is set up. Okay. It, it certainly hurts. I think yeah. if they can continue this game plan, which I think it's a lot of parallels to the jets. You had one team who was outclassed in talent, But what they were able to do was effectively run the ball for 152 rushing yards compared to Tampa Bay 71, keep the ball in their hands, having seven more minutes of possession than Tampa Bay, turning over Tom Brady when it mattered, and playing sound football, only having two penalties compared to 
Tampa Bay, who had 11 penalties for almost 100 yards. It looked like Tampa Bay was probably going to run away with this division, and we'll have to see what happens with Trevor Simeon and these Saints. Now, now the Buccaneers are six and two, and the Saints are five and two. All of a sudden, here we are. The Saints are just a half game out and currently have the tiebreaker. We'll transition over the last game of the week. Sunday night football. Dak Prescott was not playing in this game, but even so, Dallas ended up winning the game on a late drive, winning 20 to 16 over the Minnesota Vikings. We'll throw it to Tanner first. You have the floor. Your thoughts on Sunday night football. Last night was a good insight to what this Minnesota Vikings team is, and that is bad. I'm telling you, I don't know if this game could have gotten any more embarrassing. Every single thing I have talked about on this show was on full display on Sunday night. First off, of course, you have to give credit where it is due. Cooper Rush came in and played a very gutsy game, made some really nice throws down the stretch. But the game should have never, ever got there. And this is my problem. C.J. Ham is the Minnesota Vikings fullback. Most NFL teams don't even have a fullback. But C.J. Ham is getting more receptions on Sunday night than Justin Jefferson. <laughs> Kirk Cousins is having an average depth of target of four and a half yards. Cooper Rush had one more completion than Kirk Cousins and had almost 200 more yards in total. I'm watching Cooper Rush throw the ball down the field to playmakers because the offense revolves around those playmakers. They are getting them in space. They are running trick plays with Cedric Wilson throwing a 40-plus yard pass. Minnesota has a $35 million quarterback, a star running back, two star wide receivers, and they're throwing to the fullback more than one of those star wide receivers and short of the sticks on every single third down. Since the very first drive when Minnesota marched down the field and scored a touchdown, Kirk Cousins threw eight throws on third down, none of which crossed the first down marker in the air. That is insane. The conservatism I've talked about does not work. It has never worked. Something I've talked about with Iowa as well. This culture of not playing to lose and trying so hard not to lose and not trusting your quarterback is losing you games. When you've had to trust your quarterback this, when you've absolutely had to, he's led two, two game-winning drives, granted against the Dolphins and the Panthers, but he was good when you trusted him. This is absolutely insane. This week, he didn't even have any timeouts on that last drive that really didn't stand any chance because your idiot head coach is calling two timeouts in a row. When that is not allowed, that cost them a timeout and a key five-yard penalty. I've been calling for this regime change for a while now, but somebody absolutely needs to be fired after this because it is embarrassing on on all levels. This is a prime time game against a division leader when their quarterback isn't even playing. U.S. Bank Stadium should have been packed and loud, but instead they had to pump music into the stands to drown out the Let's Go Cowboys chants because nobody wants to watch this inferior product on the field. Are you serious? Absolutely dead serious dead serious they had to pump music in because they were because the let's go cowboys chants were too loud oh my god nobody wants to watch this and to add insult to injury literally quite literally daniel hunter is now out for the season 
I am done trying to defend this team with the bad calls and the getting unlucky. I'm done defending it. This was awful. This is a season defining loss at home and I'm done. That's a TikTok right there. I love it. Sam, you're the honorary Cowboys fan. You adopted the Dallas franchise a few weeks ago when the, your Browns just were starting to drop like flies. Thoughts? So obviously we've heard Tanner go on multiple <laughs> rants about the Vikings. And honestly, I'll be honest. I was like, okay, it can't be that bad. No, <laughs> it, is, it is that bad. I'm in agreement with you, Tanner. Just the Cowboys don't have Dak and you still let Cooper Rush throw for 325 yards. Like Tanner said, the conservative conservatism is what killed him. Zimmer actually, he said he screwed up with the timeouts. Yeah, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> like, duh. But yeah, just, I agree with Tanner. I think someone, probably Mike Zimmer, needs to be canned here pretty soon because it hasn't gotten any better in the past weeks. And it's time to make a change in Minnesota. And, and also, in that, uh, in that presser, when asked what why is the offense struggling so much, Mike Zimmer said, I don't know. I don't know. I have to watch the tape. Uh, this is the same offense that's been on perfect display the last two weeks, scoring 19, 19 points against the Lions, who gave up 38 to the Eagles yesterday. This is the same <laughs> offense you've seen all year long, and you had the bye. To prepare. Oh my <laughs> goodness. His <laughs> answer was, I don't know. So, so Tanner, your two favorite football teams last week had a bye. And both of them came out in the second, came out out of the bye and just shat the bed. Absolutely. Exactly what happened. <laughs> like, like, like they just. I don't even know what they did during the bye. Did they even pick up a football? It didn't look like it. I, I don't. I don't get it. I don't get what what how Mike Zimmer can be so incompetent when you have Kirk Cousins, which I wouldn't put him in the top. I probably wouldn't put him in the top ten of quarterbacks, but he's a quality quarterback. He's not going to turn the ball over too much, especially this year. He this year he has been a good caliber quarterback. He's he can lead a team. You can lead a team to a ton of wins. And then you have Dalvin Cook coming out of the backfield. And then you have Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. You got these big playmakers. And that's what happens. You give the ball to fullback ham. I I can't wrap my mind around the fact that Justin Jefferson in the entire game had two catches and the fullback ham had three. (laughs) I. And I just, I just really believe it stems from the culture of conservatism from, from Mike Zimmer and playing not to lose. And he's conveyed this idea of not trusting the quarterback. So when Kirk has a, a 50-50 ball to a top wide receiver, makes contested catches and a little check down to his fullback, he's going to check it down the fullback every time because he, he knows the head coach does not trust him. And he doesn't want to be that guy to throw the interception. When how many quarterbacks just throw it up there? If it gets picked, it's if it gets picked, it's picked. But most, more often than not, that quality wide receiver is coming down with that with that throw, and it's something that Zimmer has said we are not allowed to do. Minnesota is not allowed to do. Check it down every time and punt the ball. Quick, uh, quick shout out 
uh, Amir Sith Marset, uh, ex Iowa uh, wide receiver, drafted by the Minnesota Vikings, got his first career catch, one reception for six yards. Big shout out to him. But Amir Smith Marset had one less catch than Justin Jefferson. Any last thoughts from anyone before we wrap up the episode? Yeah, Minnesota's playoffs. Playoff hopes are done. You you think this team is going into Baltimore and winning a football game? You think this team is going into Los Angeles? Granted, there's not really much of a, a home field advantage there, but the Chargers playing at home? No chance, dude. This team is done. Absolutely done. This was a must-have game against the backup quarterback, and they pissed down their leg. Stick a fork in them because they're done. That wraps it up for today. Thank you all so much for tuning into the pod. We appreciate your support. The clock has run out on this episode, but we'll see you in the next one on Crunch Time.